welcome to Candid Chats with Bella on WCAS, thecauldron.net. Here is your hostess, Bella Donna Laveau. Hey, welcome to Candid Chats with Bella. This is Bella Donna Laveau, and I'm so grateful for your attention today. We have a fantastic guest with us today. He is the high elder of the Corellian tradition, Ed Hubbard, known as Ed the Pagan, which is a new podcast coming is on the airs today. But also Ed is known for his very controversial, hard-hitting questions where he really gets pagans to look at themselves, writing books, doing podcasts and radio shows, speaking all over, and you're traveling around right now. I think you went to pay, to, to Salem, but um, you travel around quite a bit. Welcome so much, Ed Hubbard. Well, thank you for having me, Bella. I appreciate it's it. It's such an honor to have you on the show. You know, Ed, you are quite a maverick. You are always really getting us to take a deep look at ourselves and like delving into the shadow side of paganism. And as much as we don't like to do that work, it's really something that we need. Why is it that that's your bent? Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? Obviously, you have a vision. You are obviously a genius. And when you're when you start talking about the thinking that you have, you're not on the same wavelength as most people. And that's why you come at it from a much different point of view. Tell us, what is your vision? What are you trying to accomplish? Well, when I entered into the craft, I was, I'm not much of a ritualist. And But one of the things I deeply believe in is magic. I do. And people always look at me very strange when I say it. I think that we are a better people. So one of the biggest things that I've looked at is that paganism is one faith that doesn't have an apocalyptic ending. In fact, it's an eternal faith. It's a living faith. And the only thing that's going to make us really work is that so many of us want to work in our covens and our traditions and our circles and our churches, which are all very important. But I'm really looking at a civilization. How do we get ourselves caught in civilization where we can make real decisions about how we live our lives? And that's been my entire move since I began. Um, when I, From the day I took my ordination is to move us into a place where we're building not just culture, but civilization. Wow, Ed, that is an amazing vision. You want us to move from a culture to a civilization. What does that look like? The very first thing that has to happen is that we have to have property that we own and control. And then we have to educate our own children. First step, land. Second step, education. And from there, we'll figure out how to get the things that we need from beyond it. For me, it's a regenerative society. What do I mean? Is that we can sustain ourselves over long periods of time. Throughout history, you know that genius energy comes out of the pagan world, the creative world, the imaginative world. And, um, and the orthodoxy, it doesn't matter what faith it is, tends to stamp that down. So we have to find spaces now to set up our own places, our own colonies of sorts, so that we can educate our young and so that we can pursue what we see as a world without an ending. That we don't worry about the apocalypse, but we worry about reincarnation and what we're going to look like years from now. So it starts with that, land and education of our young. Wow, yeah, that's, I agree. Though one of the things that has really been coming out in all of the people who are listening to the Lord and Lady is that we need our land. A lot of the workers at Lamas, when we had GodCon past Lamas, they were like, you need your land. It, it all has to come to from the land. There is a connection with the land that people need. 
And I guess that, you know, that's where countries and all of that kind of concept comes with bonding with the land. Do you see other groups doing this as well? You talk to a lot of people about this. I know I have too. What do you see as far as people actually accomplishing that goal? I see really two groups. First of all, the accomplished. Wisteria, Gaia's Retreat with Heartland uh, Pagan Festival. Um, Then I also see the more... the one that's going to actually do a di- make a difference. And that's a small effort. Byron Ballard is a good example. She's leading a huge community of permaculture farmers who are out there. Uh, Mark Brown out of the Midwest, St. Louis, he's, he's got like eight or nine urban acres under tillage and he's teaching people in those urban areas how to do that so we see it in our sustainability community our food growing community which is essential because land is prosperity land produces food therefore produces life so those are types of works we see the festival properties working what i don't see working is a lot of people just saying oh i want property without an understanding uh people ask my own tradition which is a Karelian tradition why don't we own more land and the question is is that we know we overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do a decade we're we're now moving towards that direction, but we know it's very, very expensive. Probably the most successful projects is uh, Circle Sanctuary right now. You know, they've been there for a long time. So we need to really be prepared for it. But it's um, small efforts, sustainable farms, and festival grounds have been the most successful places so far. We're really fortunate to have the Mother Church. It's it's community mm-hmm. property. And exactly. it, it, it's a, a beautiful land up here in Index, Washington. But they are few and far between the churches that actually own property. I do see that people are working towards that endeavor. But we've really kind of lost that connection to the earth. And I could go on and on about talking about the land. You know, you and I can get into that. But what I really want to talk about is your book that's coming out. Is this your second book on Witch Wars? So, yes. And the Witch Wars Defense Manual was written in 2005 um, in the midst of the Internet booming and people really going after each other and really it's called the witch wars defense manual it's about how to handle these conflicts and uh it's available free online you can take a look uh social.edthepagan.com there's actually at the bottom of the page you can actually click it and you can get it for free it's a bit of a discordian manual it was meant out of um for different reasons uh but it became essential for a lot of people i I was very shocked at its success this time i'm going back and looking at the witch's outsider I've been asked a lot to rewrite this. And so witches outsider. I mean, I'm not just talking about witches, but about anyone who gets marked in that sort of idea of being, you're the cause of trouble. You're the cause of problem. You're, we're going to blame you because we can't, you know, we need to blame somebody. And it happens to people all the time. And so the witch hunt begins and it's getting thrown around a lot lately. So people are doing that. So this is the second, this is an update of that version from 2005. This is me going back, relooking at it and relooking at it in a more mainstream way. What did you learn this time that you didn't know before? Status. Status? Status. I didn't realize how important. So in 2005, I was, you know, fairly young into witch school for what? school was four years old i'd been doing this for about 15 years at that point and i was my head and ego was as caught up into the fight as anyone i actually even enjoyed the fight it was something that we did because it was sports and paganism is sports and now i've gotten to as i've gotten older um one of the things i learned is that status drove that so status the idea of where we sit in the community and judgment that how much we let other people's judgment and attack us. The reason we have witch wars is that we really are sensitive to people's judgment. And sometimes that has legal force against it. And that's the thing I learned. Sometimes it has legal force, sometimes it doesn't. And be able to derive a legal force, such as a Christian in a city council somewhere doesn't like your group and won't give you a license is a witch war. It's a witch hunt. But that has real legal status and you have to handle that differently versus the group down the street which has somebody in their basement claiming that you're a terrible shopkeeper because you won't let them meet their group there. Because you think they're abusive, that's psychological. So to learn the difference between psychological 
and legal was a big aspect that I finally got to really understand in this one. And I covered both those ideas. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, because psychological is damaging, but legal is a financial issue. That's right. Correct. Yeah. It's a pro- landed property. Yeah. So what can you do if you've got somebody attacking you in community like this? You know, most of us just say, just ignore it and it'll go away. That's the standard. That's how we do with witches. You just you just don't go around that person anymore. Everybody's got their own lessons to learn. They can go learn their lessons over there. I'll do my stuff over here. Well, I'll try to just serve the goddess the best way we can. But what do you do if you have something happening that's really damaging you? Well, starva- what you just called about it was uh, basically starvation and also isolation, you know, excommunication. You just move them out of your community. It really is effective if you can get a thick enough skin because it usually lasts. Most people don't, cannot sustain anything for more than a year. It's a big thing that people don't realize. People don't realize how slow time is and how fast time is. And a year later, usually most of those fights are gone. But if it isn't, there's a couple of things you can do. The number one thing is isolate what the problem is. Is this an individual who's trying to gain authority? Is it somebody who's been injured? And if it's an injured person, you go out and try your best to heal. If you can't heal and it's a, and they just want to keep screaming and bleeding, unfortunately, that's when you, again, go back to starvation, isolation, offering help. But when they, somebody comes up to you, you decide how you want to refer to it. For the longest time, all rumor, my answer was all rumors about me are true regardless of the facts. And everybody always laughs at that. But what I mean by it is that you're going to believe who you're going to believe. They're going to believe who they're going to believe. But if you're willing to listen to me, I'll, I'll explain it to you. And I'll explain it to you once. So the truth is, most people who attack you psychologically are trying to get you to react. So the stronger and thicker your skin is not to react is the first answer. From there, you identify the problem. And there, there's a couple of techniques from there. You know, then you might have to call a summit or if the person's worth that. If the person's a real person in authority, they're punching down. So you expose them as being a bully. There's a whole series of techniques to expose what the real fight. And that's the essence. What is the real fight? Never in which wars is the real fight the real fight. Never. Almost never. A real fight is then a, a community-wide argument that needs to be taken care of, such as a person's a pedophile. We handled that was, as we know, with Kenny Klein. We had to deal with that. You know, that was a big tearing moment, but that was a real fight. But then people scream about all a bunch of other stuff. You know, oh, this, this festival, you know, doesn't like people. And these are not the real fights. Usually some injury. That's what you have to find out. What's the injury? Pagans are injured people for the biggest part they're damaged they're they've been hurt by society and they're finding trying to find refuge in ours and when they don't find the refuge in our tradition in our faith in our temples they react yes they do yes they do and it's you know there's there's a difference between trying to heal somebody who is in pain and needs your help and trying to heal somebody who is actively working to cut your arm off you know or to damage you and some people some people do some people attack the leader because they're the leader and they see in the leader a, an adversary whether that leader has been adversarial to them personally or not as mm-hmm. that's like a phenomenon correct and so what about those kinds of situations? Do you address those situations in your book? Because I know that there's a lot of high priests and priestesses out there who suffer from that phenomenon and would like to know how to deal with that. Actually, I have um, I have the rules. There actually is a set of rules to it. And one of the very first rules is understand your authority. Okay. The first thing that a, a high priest or priestess or first priestess or priestess or community leader needs to understand is what is their authority? What is the authority their group is giving them? And then are they acting inside that authority? And that, what do I mean by that? So as a high priestess, as first elder for me, 
um, I'm allowed to go out and think about my tradition and I'm allowed to ask questions. I'm allowed to go out and say, hey, I think you're really being abusive to this person. Can I ask you why? Okay. And that's within my, my ability to do so because that's what my tradition allows me to do. And then the person gives me an answer. If I don't like that answer, it does, it, I don't have authority to go out and do anything about it necessarily. I just I can see if I can solve it, but I have no right to retaliate them because I've asked them. That's one way. Or you have the right. Do you have the right? The biggest fight in the community. Do you have the authority to ordain? Biggest fight in our community. Who has the right to ordain? To this day, this is still one of those wrestling matches. So do you have the right to ordain? Do you have, you know, that sort of thing. The fights in that moment are almost always about people who think they have an authority. And I say authority. We're not talking about responsibility here, but an authority to ordain people in their own right or that they should be at the head. And they go after that because they think that for whatever reason, your authority should be their authority. And um, and so organizations, ATT does a good job of it. Um, a lot of the larger groups have overcome that because they have all the authorities kind of written out. Everybody knows where they stand. And so you can, you know, negotiate through those problems. So having an understanding of your authority is the first thing. The second thing I think that is most important to, to respect yourself is not to meddle in other groups. It doesn't matter what another group does. Unless it's directly affecting you in a legal way, i.e. it's causing legal problems for you, right? Right? Or they're doing something so outrageously wrong that it pertains to legal, such as they're doing activities that would be seen as illegal by the community, then you need to stay out of other people's groups. And I see too many high priests and priests having opinions and trying to expend their authority from their group into other people's groups. This has always been the Gardnerian and the British traditional Wicca and you know the Alexandrian groups saying, oh, nobody else is Wicca but us, you know, that sort of thing. Well, it's okay that you believe that, but I'm running a Wiccan group. You don't have a right to tell me what to do. And so stay out of my group. Hmm? Even if you don't like it, stay out of it. So unless it's illegal or dangerous, you're allowed to do so. The, but the biggest power that I priestess, and more so than a priest, high priest, I have a lot, have a different aspect, but high priestess, the number one power that they have that they can use to help people is the fact that they can be kind and they can be generous and that they can then build a wall that totally turns into a bitch moment if it's necessary. But they can say, I don't want you to do that. And most people will listen. When people listen, especially a, a high priestess, listen. I find that there's an amazing amount of magic that happens. Injuries go away. There's an understanding. There's things of that thing. So working in your authority, don't get involved with other people's inner politics. And most importantly, be willing to listen, be generous and kind in that while setting really hard lines where you won't cross or allow to be crossed. You know, you won't be yelled at. Don't allow yourself to be sworn at. And don't let anyone call you names. All those things. Those are the first real steps of it. And there's some more deeper ones that happen too of where they're at. But it's um, really being able to understand where your authority comes from. Number one thing that they need to know. So what about when you have a member in your church who is working against you and trying to, like, divide and, and turn people away from you and that kind of stuff? What are What is your advice for people who are going through that antagonist in the church kind of experience where that's the challenge of the, their day? Oh, the, the very first answer is that, that you you don't you don't put up with it. You you remove them from the system. I I'm very adamant about this. We um, I've seen this over and over again. To, to try to negotiate with them is impossible. It's one thing if you have a, a, an antagonist that is trying to be a rival. There's and that's usually what it is. They're rivaling. They think that they should be an authority and a charge. And it's one thing if you have somebody disagree with you. As long as they rec if they don't recognize your authority, then they don't belong in your structure. Period. And if and then you look at your how your rules of getting removed people. In my tradition, we have a three part process. I mean, 
files a complaint. We have another person investigate it. The gaming council investigates it. And then the uh, the priesthood then makes a judgment on it. And then they're they're removed from the system. We have a we have a system in that place because we've gone through this. But in any case, you don't invite them to spaces. You remove them from the spaces. And if they get hostile in that, that's when you may have to take legal action. And this is where I think pagans hate me talking about it. They hate the fact that I talk about taking legal action. This is one of the places I was first most controversial because I have gotten people to file abuse reports against abusive high priests. Um, I've done it a couple of times now. And it solves the problem because it removes them from the system. But people get mad because we shouldn't have police and legal authorities involved in our traditions because they're bad. No, they're there to protect us. And they, they, we have our difficult moments with them, but that's the aspect of it. But no, you, uh, removal is the first step. Unless you really want to save the person, let them talk. And if they're if they are not willing to move, or they're not willing to negotiate, if they're not, if they're being a no, there's nothing you can do. You have to remove them. So many pagans love the idea of consensus, and consensus is the tyranny of the minority. Because in a consensus, you need all yeses to continue, and even one no gives that person an incredible amount of power. Just even one no can turn the entire group. It can be a hundred people, and if you have a consensus, it's one person says no. So then if that person is continuing to be authority, you have to either remove them to restore consensus, or they they continue to be blockers. So that's a way of looking at it. That's the biggest thing I say. I always try to say it. There's really not much else you can do. Well, you know, I was trained in the art of combat by Pete Pathfinder Davis, and he always believed in using the law to your advantage and that if someone truly broke the law you should go to the law but in before that you should try to work it out with the person and give them an opportunity to change their mind before you take it to a legal situation pagans do very much avoid getting the law involved because often once you open that can of worms you expose people to the harshness of judgment to our lifestyle which sometimes involves poly family and homeschooling situations and um, pentagrams all over the house. And some some states still are very opposed to the pagan religion. So what do you think about it when, when you get a high priest or priestess involved in a legal situation and then it bleeds over into those kinds of things? Is that a real concern? Is that a false concern? Is that, you know, what comments do you have about that? We've had, I've had a number, we've had a number of fistfights at festivals and we do not call the law a non-fistfight, right? We just don't. I mean, it really is about, so let's talk about what is really important. If it's a pedophile situation, you have to call the police. If there, you call the police if there's going to be further harm if they're if you don't stop. There are, you try to use softer methods. If it's an abused wife, how many pagan uh, high priests have had to deal with women in their coven that were being that? They can go to the softer organizations. I mean, you have to make a judgment in each of your persons. And I would call it if you really need help. Circle Sanctuary has a lot of trained people in this. I learned a lot from uh, the beloved uh, Pathfinder. He, he taught me a lot of this. He was very one of these people. Um, when we had our own fight inside our covenants, he gave us a lot of advice that actually helped me form the first book. So he was one of the first people to really solve these problems. But no, if, if there's going to be a form where this individual is going to continue to cause this harm, you have to take the risk. But there's also people out there, if it's at all possible, reach out to, you know, the leadership of some of these bigger groups who may have dealt with this before, and maybe they can act as a buffer. There's a lot of different things. But I will tell you that the one thing I write in about microaggression, and one of the biggest tactics we use in our community is shame. Shame. We're ashamed, we're ashamed to admit we're Wiccans. We're ashamed to be pagans, and we're subjective of judgment. We don't want the police to know that we're Wiccans. We don't want our community to go because we're so afraid of what could happen. And the truth is, in most places, 
that isn't as big a problem as it was. We've done a lot of great work. I mean, today, uh, when we're recording this, is Gerald Gardner's the day that he passed away, 1964. 20, um, that's right. That's 56 years ago he passed away. He still has a huge influence. But he was somebody who had to work against a very large number of laws to, to put out his books. And as soon as he had the first chance to really express himself, he did. And we can argue, and people can you know, debate over what he did. Did. But what he did do is he worked in an environment that was hostile to him to make it less hostile. So I always tell groups, if you're going to be serious in your area, go ahead and try talking to the police long before you have any problems. You know, don't treat them as the enemy. Just start to deal with them in bits and doses. It's like an inoculation. It's like you know, giving them a vaccine saying, hey, we're out here in the community. If you need to talk to us about any of this stuff, we're here. And a lot of the older groups, the old covenant goddess did that. Uh, ATC in the early days did that. This uh, circle early days taught that, you know, before you have a problem with police, before you have a problem with law enforcement, get to know them long before you ever need to need to, need to utilize them. So it's not a shock to them. But beyond that, I understand that in certain areas of the country, you can't you can't do this. And that's where abuse and other methods that get more difficult happen. And then and groups break up over them. You have to make that personal judgment. Well, that is that is very good advice. When you, when you start talking about shame and stuff in the pagan community, we have made a lot of headway. I mean, we have made a lot of headway. I tell people now when they call and they're like, I'm getting a divorce and I'm worried my, my, I'm going to lose my kid because I'm pagan. I tell them that we have legal precedent already that your lawyer just has to call into, uh-huh. um, you know, call into evidence. So it's way different now because we have have legal precedents on our side but people are still very scared because i mean just even having to go through the fear of it and having your children taken away or whatever that is a very real fear i remember being at a psg where not a psg a florida pagan gathering where um they were having a big community argument where people were afraid they were going to lose their jobs over situations that were happening and that i, I don't think that it was a possibility but they believed that it was a possibility and that's really all that counts is what they believed right so when you're dealing with this thing what kind of solutions do you think is going to take for us to have a pagan civilization what comes to mind for me is voting see uh, uh, that's a that's a tricky one for me because i know how voting works right and most of our movements towards voting is in effect. We're not a big enough group. We're not a big enough policy. Of course, you should vote as an American citizen. That's your duty as an American citizen. But we're talking about vote active. And, and most of the time, we're not a big enough thing. We don't question the politicians. We don't pay them, i.e., we're an oligarchy. I'm, I'm, I'm really, this is where I'm one of the most negative people out there. We're an oligarchy. I know that. I just ran into a big problem in Chicago because um, I ran into an alderman situation where I didn't make the proper, how do you use your phrase, the proper wording, the proper gifts to to make sure everything went well. And I lost my business over. So I have real world experience with it. So voting is important. No, the number one thing we have to do is teach our young. Until we're teaching our young the type of ethics and the type of things that we want to so that they can move into the systems. We have a young lady, I forget her name right now, in Oregon running for a state senate position who's a Wiccan. You know, that is a place where we should, you know, spend our money, spend our time, and spend our energy getting her voted in. Right now, this whole presidential politics thing, I know it's important to people, but are they going to, do they really know how to get to the politicians to get them to answer our questions? So for me, it's not just voting, it's getting the politicians and the leadership to answer our questions. And that takes real work. And that's something we're not prepared to do right now. 
we just aren't doing that well right now. So you're saying that pagans aren't a big enough voting force? Because I'm looking at articles that say paganism is the fastest growing uh, religion on the planet right now. And that Wicca and Asatru is blowing the charts off millions, millions of people. And that people are leaving Christianity in droves and turning to paganism. And that actually the biggest market of spiritual um of the the religious market out there is spiritual people don't want to identify with any religion and we're finding that people that are are pagan and and like out of the normal stream not christian most of them are also anti-establishment which means mm-hmm. they're anti-voting. And that is causing us to have governments that don't actually represent the people. So you don't there's a, that's an issue? I think it's a different issue. I think it's an issue. Okay. First of all, the idea that Wicca is the fastest growing religion in the world was set in 2005 by a press release called uh, Christians and Pagans Agree. Wicca has become the third largest religion. It was written back in 2005. And that press release has gotten over 10,000 times. It's been repeated over and over again. And it's based on uh, it's based on a series of facts of the time. The truth is, is that we're not the fastest growing religion in the United States. Muslims are. Uh, we're not the fastest growing religion. Evangelical Christian churches are growing faster. We're just growing faster by percentages. We're year over year. We're getting to be more. We're only a million. In, the last real survey is a million and a quarter victims, and Oran keeps going back to this three million number. But it's still scattered. It's still less than one percent of the population. Voting only matters in concentration, and that the politician knows you're voting as a block. I'm not saying it doesn't count. I'm saying we have to take another step. But we're not taking we're not, not taking a big enough commitment to voting in a strong way. We're not saying, hey, we're pagans and we're going to get there and help you. And our pagan church is helping. Really? Then that politician now has to acknowledge that we're helping them. Just voting one way or the other based on on the opinions doesn't show up. So a heathen by the name of Nick Barbarian helps in the Tulsi Gabbard campaign. He's been doing a lot of good for her campaign. Agree with her, disagree. That's the candidate he went for. And he's gotten pictures with her in his in his tattoos and everything else. And he stands there next to that presidential candidate. And that normalizes us. Getting a picture with these guys, you know, having them acknowledge us back is what's important. So we have to use our votes to get them to acknowledge us. Not just that we vote that way because we feel like we're part of the crowd. We have to get them to acknowledge our community and that realize that we have real help to help them. So if you have a lot of pagans in your area and you're voting, say, for an alderman, which may be only a couple of hundred votes, and you have 100 to 200 votes in your area, that's really meaningful. And you can then use that to build authority. Three million people scattered across the United States. Hillary Clinton still got three million more votes than Trump, and it didn't matter. It's about where you vote and the concentration you vote. And that's where we have to organize our voting. Food for thought. That's for sure. I, st- mm-hmm. I, I still think that voting is important and people should do it. Thank you so much, Ed. That is a really insightful answer. We have to take a break right now. This is the cauldron.net and we'll be back with Ed Hubbard real, sh- real soon. Our climate is changing. Making a few changes around your home and yard can cut carbon emissions and even save you money. Swap out five of your most used light bulbs with CFLs or LEDs. Change air filters regularly, lower your thermostat in the winter, and raise it in the summer. Recycle newspapers, beverage bottles, and food containers. Reduce your carbon impact to the environment. Act now on climate change.
Chats with Bella. I am Bella Donna Laveau, and we have Ed Hubbard, first elder of the Karelian nativist tradition. Nativist tradition, am I saying that right, Ed? That is correct. It's Karelian nativist tradition. Sometimes we call it the Karelian Wiccan tradition. We've used and that is, Go ahead. For, for people that don't know, 
the Karelian tradition is a famtrad of which I am an honorary high priestess of, I am proud to say. Mm-hmm. And it is a combination of Scottish, Scottish witchcraft and Cherokee American native spiritualism, correct? At its source, yes. And At- from from the history that I understand, go, you can tell them, but I just, it, it was, it started with two people marrying. That's correct. Um, Don can always tell the story, but yeah, two people marrying a fairly long time ago. We also have the spiritualist aspect. It lasted about a hundred years. Mostly they saw themselves as spiritualists and magical practitioners and witches. And they started to use the word Wicca as it became more and more part of the legal identity and it matched what they were doing. And since then, have become very syncretic. We've added a lot of information. Has really uh, lowered down. You know, so everybody's always not to get yeah, everybody I mean, to. Right. Just I'm just Bella. Right? Yeah, we're just we're people first, and it's it's been hard for me to accept the titles. And then now today, we you know we still have that going. So the biggest difference is, is that we've had two phases. So the, it was a family trad until Don came to Chicago, and then Don uh, made it much more public, and it's grown ever since. It's grown phenomenally ever since, and now more and more you're seeing people who take some of the basic ideas and are adapting it to their local area. Nativist means local. And so the whole idea behind it and the genius of, of, of the family was that they were able to say, these are the ideas that work in our area. They work kind of everywhere, but you have to work with your local, your local spirits. And that really became a reason I think a lot of people grow with it. Well, that's interesting. You know, I have Scottish on one side and Cherokee on my mother's side, Cherokee and Welsh and Scottish. So I, I fit in really well with the Corellian tradition. I love you guys so much. I, it, it's nice to have like cousins, right? We're not the same. The Corellians and the ATC are not the same, but we have a lot of the same desire for organization and infrastructure. And there, there's just a lot of the same goals that we have as groups. I think that that makes our people in, get along real well. So what's important to understand, absolutely. And I know all our people love you and call you the cousin, leaving uh, that sort of thing. But one of the most important aspects that shows where I'm talking towards civilization, we took a big step towards civilization. And you were very much involved with that. When Phyllis Karat and I pushed Don's class and everybody's class to do the Global Wicca Summit, and to have it actually recognized at the Parliament of World Religions. We didn't bicker. We didn't complain. We stood up together and saying, yes, we have differences, but this is what we agree on. And this is where we want you to know that we are these type of people. And in front of every religion in the world, we had a packed room. I mean, the room was so packed. And um, and people acknowledged us throughout the event. That was a major moment because it allows us to say, as, an, as a Wiccan tradition, not just a pagan one, but as a Wiccan tradition, that we are recognized by others. And while judgment's not important, status is and that gives us the right to kind of move forward and that would not have been possible if we did not have ways and if don wasn't and you weren't and pete before him and uh lady crystal before before don we're not building these sorts of relationships and those are the things and getting back to where the book comes from i one of the one of the things that made wise witch wars even required is because people don't want to build relationships they want to have authority and status but they forget how valuable relationships are and that's something that you've done very well with the ATC. And I think the ATC has done really well over, its, what is it, 40 years, 45? 40 years. Yeah. And that they've done really well. Thank you. And people don't realize, Don, Don's mentor, 
the beloved uh, Pathfinder is one of Don's mentors. Yeah, um, I have pictures of Don when he was young over here at the tab. So yeah, and that's how and that's how we pass on civilization. That's how we pass on culture through healthy relationships. I think one of the greatest things that has come out of uh, paganism are those little chick tracks that Pete and Don and Oberon all put together and they all use the different expertise that kind of shows the the different parts of paganism and Wicca where Don did the artwork, Oberon wrote the story and Pete produced and printed and marketed and sold the whole thing. And I think that's an, a neat everybody working together kind of thing because it's not about religion. I mean, it's not about theology. It is about religion, but it's not about theology. It's not about what you believe or what I believe and who's right. It's about us working together to make the world a better place. And what does it take to do that? So I think there's like, okay, so there's one space right now I think that's become very interesting. It's become in the last couple of months across my border. I'm not a big music fan myself, but you talk about like the International Pagan Music Awards, right? That this station sponsors. See, that that's a great movement. That's a great movement towards like this idea of culture and civilization and cooperation. Yeah, you because know, we all love music. And I know that you and another thing I think of great beauty is I saw your spring mysteries. You sh- you've shared pictures. Those are gorgeous pictures. And so I, you know, and, and um, then people want to go out there and understand that. So I think one of the things I think that people don't understand is how beautiful when you get these types of cooperation that you get, when you get everybody kind of cooperate, how utterly beautiful they become. I'm a, I'm a junkie for awe and wonder. That's my big thing. Cognitive efficacy is my big thing. Uh, hail Dionysus, right? And Aphrodite, yeah. right? Well, that people want to be like, ah, whatever about beauty, but uh, beauty brings people to their knees. It makes people, you know, stop and worship and and take a minute out of their day to just appreciate. And so, yeah, it really does. When everybody in the community puts aside their differences and looks for their similarities, it makes magic happen. One of the things that I've I'm really a student of this comparative theology because, you know, I was raised by Mormons and I've, I've been trying to convince my mother that we're coming from similar places so that we can get along most of my life. And so it's it's easier for me to do that because I just want everybody to get together and worship the goddess. I don't care how they do it, whether whether mm-hmm. they do it the way I do it or the way they do it. But some some people get really out of joy. They have to be right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And do so, you think that's where the witch wars come from is getting stuck in that idea of it's my way or or the wrong way absolutely so i'm i'm coming to the point so this is a personal revelation that has come to me i spent most of my pagan career wanting to be right instead of being successful you heard me say that yes i knew that i was yeah. right i knew that i was right yeah. that's where the contrary is i'm telling you i tell people oh yeah this thing is about to happen we're going to get our numbers are going to be 10 million we're going to the growth that you've seen has nothing compared to the next five years we're going to go from a million and a half witches to about five to six million witches we're going to go from about a million and a half pagans to about another five or six million pagans fast and I'm talking about super fast. I'm talking about 2026. Yeah, we're hitting the bell curve. We're hitting the bell curve. And the hockey and the hockey stick is kicking in. I can say that all day long, but will I be successful in helping people? No, because I have to be right. And people will argue with me. And then I'll argue my facts with them. And then they'll say, well, we'll wait and see. And I grump off. So what I've learned is that I've had to be more, to be more successful. I go, okay, you may not believe that, but if this is a possible thing, what do you want to happen in your community? So I've had to look at what is it that you want as a success? Even if you disagree with me, I need to get you to at least focus on what your success is or my success is. 
Thus, the rewrite of the uh, witch wars. It's not something that I would naturally want to do, but it's something that people have asked me to do because they, they need, because these types of books help them understand what conflict is. But equally so, I'm on a year tour to try to say, and this is the number one thing I'm doing, is I'm on tour to try to get as many happy moments on Peggy Night Camera so that I can go next year to the National Association of Broadcasters and show them the series that I put together. And do I think I'm going to sell it? I hope so. But even if I don't sell it, I'm going to tell the community of people who are now creating Sabrina and some and uh, Fort Salem and Love and Jinx on all these shows that they're doing. The reality shows fo follow them two years later. So what's going to happen next year is the reality shows are all going to be sniffing around to get authentic pagan type of show. So instead of taking it back, I know that that's going to happen. I can be right that it happened, but I want to be successful. So then I took it on myself. I can't, don't need to convince everybody. I just need them to convince me to give them, let me film you. Let me put you part of the series. And then when I get it there, even if I'm not successful in selling it, I then set a climate. I, I set a pattern for the other sort of these broadcasters, Netflix, Hulu, Gaia.com, you know, Bravo, TBS. They say, okay, this is what the community looks like. At least now we have a template where we want to get, you know, where we can at least have some influence on. Otherwise, they're just going to come in our community next year and try to grab anybody and they'll grab the noisiest and the, the, the least behaved or whatever's going to work with them because we have this sort of skepticism against television. It doesn't stop the television from doing it, but we do have that. So I can be right about what I'm saying, but now how do I be successful? Too many people want to be right. And I was included in that number. And they want to be right over everything because they think that gives them real authority and real power to the voice. It's not true. It's being successful and helping, being able to help other people reach their goals is more important. But you're right. Being right is a real powerful feeling. Yeah. And some people is, are really attached to Go ahead, Lala. This is, I just want to add on to that for, or ask you. So it's compromise is what you're saying um, to be successful. You have to learn to compromise. Is that what I'm hearing? Is, is that what I'm hearing you say in so many words? A compromise. Okay. So compromise means that we both come part of the way. I'm saying that's okay. And I do believe in compromise as part of it. And part of it is just finding where you can work together. So I guess that is compromise. But I also just see it is just not fighting over what, what it is. So yes, compromise would be a good thing to, to speak about. Yes. Thank you, Lola. When you're talking about being right, one of the things that I truly believe in, it's one of the first things we teach in Wiccan Seminary.edu, the college that uh, I built, is relative truth. Truth is relative to the person who experiences it. Uh, Oberon Zell, who you and I both love very dearly, said, had a really cool saying when he was at my house last time where he said, a mind, changed against, a mind forced to change against its will holds its own opinion still. People, people are never going to be able to con you know, convince everybody to believe the way they are or to control their external world, but they can control their internal world. And I think it comes a lot with age and wisdom. You just, you just get tired of arguing with people. You know, you're not going to change their mind and you stop trying, right? And you just start working towards a higher purpose. And, and do you think it's maturity that gets there? Do you think it's a philosophy that can get us there that, that we can teach people to be that way? Because once you get past needing to be right, it's easier to work together. So I agree. And I also think education is the essential tool. You have to get them educated. You have to get them educated. Back to educating the young, right? Because then they grow up with it. So one of the things that's happening in the pagan community is that it started out as an extremely young community. I mean, just the sheer age of it. We still have a lot of... Oberon Zell is probably a little amongst the last of them, but 
of the uh, first groups of elders. We had Lady Sheba, we had Charles Wachowski, we had Gardner, we had Al- Sanders, uh, we have Vaccine, we have the Farrards, we have all of those people still with us, and they're growing in maturity too, and they're growing in wisdom. And they're still teaching. And so we're still in that process as a community of gaining institutional wisdom on how to apply our stuff. And so that's been a really incredible thing. I mean, I've gone from being a snot-nosed kid to being kind of a biting middle-aged man. And I realized that when I talk Oberon and some of these elders that I really, well, I've got more wisdom. And my tradition actually pretends that I do. That they still have more wisdom yet. And now, and I'm learning it too. But as I'm learning it, so are the younger members of our community. So preserving institutional wisdom is really something that's coming into our community. And we're less raw. We're less angry. We're less combative. We're not seeing ourselves fight the way we were. Oh my God, have you ever seen how Phaedra and Isaac and all of them, that Selena all fought for our right? It was, it was glorious and it was frightening and it was hard. You don't see those fights today. You found no, you found, don't. Because you found ways for us to learn how to be better with the government, and how Circle can now step in and, and stop things a lot sooner. So yeah, we saw we saw this fighting spirit, but we were we're gaining wisdom. I think wisdom comes with not with age so much as experience. Yeah, we're we're moving from the warrior of fighting for our civil rights and our very right to exist to fighting for our right to have. And, you know, which is you know, like the second step, like second chakra in in our maturity, where we're building all this infrastructure and we're needing to gather land, we're needing to gather wealth, we're needing to gather affluence and influence, right? We're mm-hmm. needing to build our families, build our schools, and hospitals and stuff are next. But what do you think about, um, I'm hearing a lot of the elders contacting each other about 2020 vision. I think Oberon's got something out vision 2020 where he's talking about getting involved in politics and things like that what do you think about pagans in politics okay so this is a very so pagan churches should not get involved in pagan churches let's be very specific those same churches that are identified as not-for-profits or 501c3s should avoid politics at all costs okay yeah i mean like running for office like pagan i think they should office so i think we should and actually i think we where we have a great opportunity with the five with the trillion tree initiative that even our our president said okay we're a part of is a great place for us to be involved with i think we need to be involved i need we need to hold politicians accountable so what is the great secret of the christian right how do they gain so much authority they chose one or two subjects in this case abortion and gay rights to be against it as their main, and I hate it's hateful, but as their main constant discussion. If you vote our way, we're going to vote for you. Pagans should be out there and getting in politics face and say, if you want our vote, we want to see you plant trees. We want you to see you pass environmental laws and hold them accountable. This is a democracy. We're a republic. These guys are representative of us. And uh, I believe there's a young lady, I can't remember, running in Oregon. I know the people who run. I think we should run for politics. Absolutely. Because only then, when we have a certain amount of politicians, can we understand the system and begin moving that system from the inside. By the way, that we've all agreed upon as Americans, that's how we how we fight. We fight through our political mechanism. Because the only choice after that is to be oppressed by the system. And if that doesn't work, we eventually become outlaw, you know, we, or we get oppressed. Either we become treated like the Native Americans or oppressed, or we end up out as outlaws. You know, gangs that don't, you know, like like Mormons who, who are marrying multiple women, they get outside the law. So if we don't want to be outside the law all the time, we have to be, in, we have to find people who are going to advocate for us inside the law. Yeah, you can't be a part of the solution if you're part of the problem. That's true. And if you don't play the game, you can't win. So being a part of the establishment is difficult 
difficult for somebody who's been anti-establishment, but you you just have to play by the rules and and then make them work for you. That's what Pete taught us, that mm-hmm. the law will work for you. You just have to use it. You can't stand outside the law and throw rocks at it and flip it off and expect to get anywhere. It just doesn't work that way. So, Ed, what a, what a wonderful wonderful discussion and thank you so much i really i always enjoy talking to you you have such a unique way of viewing the world and it gives so much to our community i would like to is there anything else that you want to share with us before we run out of time well i think the one thing i want to ask everybody i've been telling everybody this so we've been talking about culture and everything else but we need to go ahead and start spending our dollars with our local stores i'm telling people this right now if you want your local stores if you really want your community to work you need to find ways to to spend money with your, with your local soap makers your perfume makers look at developing jobs if you really want a long-term term for this and we've already had a discussion about this but i really do believe we need to really look at jobs and looking how to spend money within our community because if we want a healthier community we have to improve our economy and that's essential the first step of civilization is controlling our own coin and i really wish people so go out to your local bookstore your local stores, your local merchants, and spend your money with them today before you go and do it elsewhere. Oh, oh, I like that one. Yes, I agree. Job job growth, job stimulation, working within the pagan community, empowering our people to be affluent, that, that is really powerful stuff right there. Yeah, we have had good conversations about that before. Thank and, you um, so much for being with us today, Ed. I appreciate you so much. We'll get to talk again real soon. I hope to see you while we're uh, touring this spring. Uh, I wish that you could come to Spring Mysteries Festival, springmysteries.com. It happens every Easter weekend. We're going to have to have you out sometime. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I'm looking forward to the, having more experiences like that. Like I said, and, and I said, it's, it, it does look like it's such a beautiful thing. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. And Don really had fun. I will see if I can schedule you to come out really soon and share some of your wisdom with our people in a little bit more intimate way. If you want to know more about me, you can find my website, belladonnalaveau.com, or you can find Aquarian Tabernacle Church at atcwicca.org, wiccanseminary.edu is the website for our college. Thank you so much, Ed. Ed Hubbard, Ed the Pagan. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thecauldron.net. See you next week. Good night, everybody.